So Gil uh, spoke about the first two parts of the gradual training, um, uh, virtuous action and training in virtuous action and uh, training in safeguarding the senses. So tonight, this, well, this afternoon, um, I'll be talking about um, the next two parts, moderation of eating and um, wakefulness. So um, the Buddha told his monks, uh, be moderate in eating, reflecting wisely. You should take food neither for amusement nor for intoxication nor for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness, but only for the endurance and continuance of this body, not harming this body, and for assisting the holy life. So mindfulness can be quite simple. Mindfulness of eating can be quite simple. You know, we taste the food, we smell the food, we chew it, we feel the texture, uh, we swallow it, and we eat only as much as we uh, need to eat to keep the body comfortable. So it's, it sounds simple, but many of us have a tremendous amount of emotional charge around food, and um, you know, which makes sense, you know, because uh, uh, food is essential for survival. You know, take away food from people, you know, that uh, creates very quick desperation. Uh, food is also really associated with um, uh, our emotions, with uh, social patterns. Uh, you know, the mo- our mother is uh, its part of how we bond with our mother. It's um, how families bond together, eating around a table. Um, you know, s- group celebrations often uh, are centered around food, or the holidays. So food has uh, a lot of extra, extra things added to it uh, for us, or can have. Um, <clears throat> what makes the practice of mindful eating so rich, though, is that um, it's no different working with the desire and craving of eating as it is working with any other thing that we get. Uh, caught by, that we want, uh, any other craving we have in our lives, whether it's lust, whether it's, you know, uh, I've just got to check my email one for the hundredth time today. I just have to do it. Uh, you know, whatever that craving is we get caught by, it's the same thing, whether it's food uh, or, we- or whether it's, um, you know, getting a new car. Um, but food is something that we have to do to survive, you know, whereas we can get away without a device, or some of us think we can't, but, you know, uh, we actually can. Um, uh, so, um, so it's a rich area because we get to practice with it every time we eat if we want, you know. And so, um, you know, it's the practice of letting go in the midst of desire, that's really, it's, it's one thing to you know, just restrain yourself. That can be, like sometimes it's easy for people to say, um, okay, I don't need any of this anymore. I don't need any sugar, you know, and maybe they can just do that and then they don't have to deal with desire. But um, 
at some point there's some desire that you get caught in the middle of it. And that's when we practice, when it's actually alive, you know. And it's like, I really want to have that second piece of cake and I'm stuffed, but it's so good. You know, that, uh, that strong emotion, that craving. And, you know, if you watch little kids, um, you see them, um, you know, they, uh, if you don't let them have that, they will have an absolute tantrum, right? And so we also have tantrums. We just do it a little bit more subtly, right? So that's craving. That's the, uh, when we see it in kids, it's so obvious. You know, in ourselves, we kind of clothe it in all these, uh, um, you know, different ways that it's easy to miss it. Moderation in eating is not just the quantity of what we eat or when we eat it, but it's really what our relationship to it is. And, you know, typically when, um, you know, like the monks, for instance, they're uh, the Theravada monks, you know, they take vows to uh, not eat after the noon meal. So they really fast for a really long period before they eat again. And... um, uh, so it's a it's a um, it's a, a strategy for being mindful about eating. Now remember this one person who had been a monk. You know he said that uh, even though he followed the rules, he would stuff his plate. He was so afraid of being hungry, with so full of rice and 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 stuff that he would um, he wouldn't be able to sit down for hours. He said after the meal, the one noon meal, he would just do walking meditation for a really long period for hours before he could actually afford to sit down again. So um, you know the strategies that we use are strategies. The real issue is the the craving. I mean, right now it's sort of funny, you know, intermittent uh, fasting has become a very big uh, health-promoting um, uh, diet, you know. And so a lot of people do this intermittent, intermittent fasting, very similar to the monks. And some people even call it the monks' diet. So it's kind of caught on. <laughs> um. But even though the strategies, I mean, you know, moderate eating might be, is healthy, and there's all these really good reasons to be moderate. But really, what we're looking at is our relationship in the moment to the craving that arises. On retreat, we really have the opportunity uh, to eat silently, which lets us really look at this. It's a lot harder when you're eating with a friend and you're having this really wonderful interaction. And, you know, by the end of the meal, did I eat something? You know, you don't even know you ate. You know, you're so, so uh, distracted by the conversation. So on retreat, we really have the time to really watch the process. Uh, you know, how, how does it feel to have the desire rise? Uh, or not just desire, you know. I know myself, you know, um, you know, uh, I... You know, the first time that I sat retreat, I was so self-conscious going down the line. How much did that person take? Well, I better not take more than them. I'm sure a couple of you have done that, right? Um, and, uh, you know, that self-consciousness, that uh, trying to do the right thing as opposed to what's really happening with me in the moment. Um, so, you know, what can be helpful, you know, uh, 
um, in practicing this, you know, and you can do this during your meals here really beautifully, is to really just connect with your bodies when you're standing in line. You know, are you just focused on the food or are you aware of the body standing there? Um, you know, can you make that a little bit of the extra connection so you're still stay embodied, not lost in, in you know, what, what is it, you know, what's next? Um, you know, connecting with her gratefulness for, for the food, for the beings that brought it, you know, that made it possible for us. It's a really uh, wonderful way to practice with this also. And on a very practical level, the, the habit of, you know, and this you can do in daily life, of putting your fork down between bites. That's a kind of a, you know, it gives you that moment, that moment and that space to just... Okay, you know, I, you know, relax. You know, here it is. You know, and noticing the details of her eating, you know, the chewing, the smell. There's a lot going on. You know, and relaxing her bellies. Just really being in the body. It's eating is an embodied practice. It also, on retreat, it, um, overeating can have a really significant effect on us. And um, it reminds me of, um, you know, um, my husband and I were visiting some friends in the desert, and we were eating a meal, you know, with their three-year-old son. And, you know, we were all kind of happily eating, and, you know, and of course the mother noticed when the when the little boy stopped eating, you know, and, and so she started, you know, coaxing him to eat a little bit more, eat a little more. You know, he said, you know, Mommy, you know, um, eating makes me tired. I don't want to be tired. <laughs> you know, so uh, the wisdom of the three-year-old, you know, and I don't know if any of you have overeaten, but it's really hard to stay awake afterwards, right? You know, and... Um, on retreat, that's my primary, you know, it's always been my primary motivation to not overeat because I really want to stay awake during the, during the sittings. And, um, you know, so, so staying awake brings me to the next part, wakefulness, right? So, um, <clears throat> So the next, we've, we've uh, begun the training on virtuous action, on safeguarding the senses. Moderation of eating is really an extension of safeguarding the senses. And now wakefulness. And what the Buddha said is, come, be devoted to wakefulness. During the day, while walking back and forth, and sitting, purify your mind of obstructive states. In the first watch of the night, while walking back and forth and sitting, purify your mind of obstructive states. In the middle watch of the night, lie down on the right side in the lion's pose, with one foot overlapping the other, mindful and fully aware after noting in your mind the time for rising. 
after rising in the third watch of the night, while walking back and forth and sitting, purify your mind of obstructive states. In the time of the Buddha, you know, um, he admonished the young monks not to sleep too much, to not be lazy. He stressed them to be devoted to wakefulness. Some Buddhist schools um, even practice with sleeping in the upright position so that uh, they'll spend years never laying down for sleep. Um, you know, others, you know, limit how many hours, you know, of sleep the monks get. But in many, of, in, but in our culture, many of us, um, we've lost touch with the natural rhythms of nature here. And, um, you know, we don't, you know, our, our lives are so busy with electricity and devices and there's always something happening. And, um, you know, we don't notice the sunrise, the sunsets. Um, and that being out of touch with that and, not, and then we don't do physical activity, you know, hard physical work like, um, you know, other generations did. Uh, at least most of us don't. And so it's become um, a chronic thing within our culture where we don't get enough sleep. And, uh, or the sleep we get is interrupted and not, not really healthy sleep. And so, um, you know, so for us, it's not, you know, uh, taking care of our sleep might mean sleeping more, not less. Um, <clears throat> So part of um, taking care of our sleep, um, part of prioritizing our spiritual practice includes taking care of our sleep. Um, You know, under-treated might mean taking a nap if you need one, but in our regular lives, um, it can mean, you know, turning off your devices, you know, and giving yourself some hours without devices so you can sleep well. Because it's been shown that, you know, those devices affect the ability to sleep well. Um, You know, one of the things that um, one of my teachers uh, suggested on retreat, which was really interesting, was um, the one-minute nap. I don't know if anyone's tried it, but he said, just try, you know, when you're tired, lay down with intention of just napping for one minute. You know, and, um, you know, it sounded horrible to me. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I, you know, I trusted him, so I tried it. And it was really amazing to me how, at least on retreat, that one minute nap really restored me. Um, And it really surprised me, or, you know, maybe two or three minutes, I don't know, you know. I didn't set a timer, but it was short, you know, I got up very short, you know, I had that resistance, you know, oh no, (laughs) you know, I don't want to get up, but, but, um, but otherwise, you know, it was very, very, uh, very restoring. Uh, But you may need more, that's just a, just a suggestion I'm dropping. (laughs) Um, You know, as Gil mentioned, you know, some of us, um, you know, when things get difficult, we use sleep to escape from the difficulty. 
And so, you know, it's important to notice, you know, what's really happening, you know, when we go to sleep. You know, are we going to sleep because we're bored, uh, because we're having a lot of emotional stuff we don't want to deal with? You know, are we just tired? You know, is it, is it just uh, the body needs rest? Some people uh, take pride in how little they sleep. You know, I kind of fell in that category, uh, which surprised me. Um, I, you know, I used to love to come and sit in the meditation hall when nobody was there in the morning. You know, and I'd, you know, I'd be the first person up. You know, and and you know, one it, it took me a while to just notice. You know, like yeah, I'm the first one up. You know, like like just a little pride. You know, and competition, and you know, and I actually noticed it when somebody showed up before me. <laughs> uh, but the things, you know, the things that show up. You know. Um, and one of the things that that um, that I really appreciated on retreat is um, one of my teachers at, told me to try to notice um, the last breath before you fall asleep. And um, I never caught it, <laughs> but when I'd wake up, I'd notice the first breath on waking. It was so sweet. It's like mindfulness just showed up just showed up the moment I woke up and it was uh, um, you know really sweet and which reminds me of like what, what the instructions the Buddha gave you know he said you know in the middle watch of the night that's the night where you sleep you know you lay in your right side and, and you, you um, think about when you're going to rise you know so you you know bring that mindfulness into that watch into that, that time and then and then uh, kind of set that for waking up. You know, kind of like that unconscious way that we set our clocks. You know, sometimes, you know, we, um, you know, we set the alarm clock for 5 a.m., but wake up at 4.59 to shut it off. <laughs> and in the same way, you know, when we uh, set these unconscious suggestions to ourselves, you know, they, they kind of work on us in a really um, sweet way. So what we're looking at um, in being devoted to wakefulness is really the quality of the mind during our day. You know, it's a, it's a wakeful. Uh, are we devoted to wakefulness? Are we devoted to being present, fully present? Um, and the image that, that I like to use um, is, you know, imagine myself hiking on a really hot day and, you know, working really hard, going uphill, you know, and it's really hot and, and you know, and then finding this beautiful pool of water, you know, of just cool, refreshing water and taking a dip. And that feeling when you first go in and, you know, you come out and, and you just feel so, you know, everything's like alive and alert and um, but yet you're really relaxed, right? So it's like this very vibrant feeling um, that's completely relaxed. Un- you're not thinking about anything, you know. It's you're just right there in the moment. Um, and that image to me is very uh, supportive, very invigorating. 
um, I heard um, wakefulness defined as um, as the opposite of being preoccupied. So that's sort of an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, so when the mind is preoccupied with our thoughts or stories or um, you know discomforts or uh, cravings for what we want, you know, and when it's not doing that, when it's not preoccupied, what's there? We're right here. This is what's happening right here. We're awake. I like the word devotion to wakefulness. There's something about that that um, you know, a love of wakefulness, a commitment to wakefulness. Um, another translation of the word word is um, vigilance. You know, which is um, to be alert to t- what takes us away from the present, from being fully present. So, being awake, being in the present, being vigilant of, you know, what's just about to suck you in. <laughs> so when another um, uh, another thing, you know, when we're, we're wakeful, we're energized, you know, we're uh, ready for anything. And sometimes people in practice, you know, because we have so much tensions, we talk about relaxing the body, doing a body scan, relax this, relax that. Sometimes people relax, 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 and they don't stay alert enough. And you get into these kind of dreamy, um, uh, dreamy, kind of sweet, often relaxed states. You know, not sleeping, but you know, but definitely not, no, not very aware. And you know, we, we can call that sinking mind. It's like a mind that's uh, very, very relaxed. It starts to get concentrated, but doesn't have any oomph, no energy. And so what we're looking to do in the practice is to balance that, you know, to balance the energy, bring more energy in. Um, <clears throat> one of the things, Bhante Gunaratna, he's the abbot of uh, one of the monasteries in West Virginia, you know, and, and he insisted that his monks don't sit in chairs. And I said, well, why? What, you know, uh, why do you insist on that? You know, some people are really stiff. He says, oh, you know, only for one reason, you know, it's just too far to fall when they fall asleep. (laughs) And um, so it happens. (laughs) Um, um, So we can bring mindfulness to a sinking mind. Um, To me, the hardest part of it is wanting to. You know, it's so seductive. You know, there's just something so comfortable being there. And um, so sometimes, it, for me, it, you know, it's taken a lot of devotion to wakefulness to say, okay, I am going to put out some effort here. Um, but one of the things that's really been helpful for me with that is um, um, I noticed, I started noticing that right before I get into a sinking mind, it, I just start getting these wispy images, kind of just little little pieces of nonsensical images, nonsensical sometimes phrases, you know, mostly images. And they just kind of come, you know, come and go. They don't have any any meaning or anything. They're just insignificant in some ways just very wispy and they come and go and and um and so if i notice them you know um what i did was i started calling them dreamlets 
you know, so I had a nice little label for them, you know, and just calling them dreamlets and, and recognizing them for they were would, you know, begin to take me out and take me back into uh, an awake state. Um, you know, sometimes I would actually, you know, label dreamlets maybe 20 times before that happened, but it would, you know, it kind of kept me from going into that next, uh, really sinking all the way in. Um, uh, you know, sometimes becoming aware of a sinking mind is just, uh, you know, can be um, a lot of effort, you know. So um, the effort is worthwhile, you know, gentle, with compassion, and just, you know, keep bringing the attention back. So, you know, wakefulness comes naturally when we're interested in our experience. Um, When we think things are worthy of our attention. Um, So it's, you know, if you're into uh, art or music, you know, your attention's like that. You know, and then you hear and you don't like mechanics and somebody starts telling you details of an engine, you know, you just you know, tune it out, you know. Uh, so it's like what we think is, is worthy of our attention, we get woken up for, and and um, and if it's not, we kind of tune out, you know. And, um, and same thing happens in meditation. You know, if we're feeling really, you know, the, the breath is seeming exquisite, you know, boy, that's easy to pay attention to. You know, if the fre- breath is feeling kind of, dry and unexciting, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, just start losing interest very quickly. Um, but we can bring brightness, we can bring uh, the interest into every mundane, th- mundane thing we do. Um, you know, we often, when we're not interested in something, we call that boredom, we're bored. And, you know, I think uh, sometimes people think that boredom is kind of this neutral state, there's nothing going on. But when we look carefully at boredom, uh, we see that nobody likes boredom, right? You know, there's something unpleasant about boredom. And, um, you know, so in some ways the way through boredom, you know, uh, the way back to interest is through really noticing what's unpleasant here. You know, what's, what's going on right at this moment? What's, um, what don't I like about this moment? Um, and that interest, turning the interest towards the boredom, turning the attention towards the boredom itself, um, tr- begins to transform it. Because you've gotten interested, and it's now something different. Um, and, you know, when the mind gets quiet, you know, the mind's used to being really stimulated. It's used to having this and that and, you know, and just all the stimulus. And when it gets quiet, you know, we're, we're not used to that, you know. So 
uh, so often we think of that as, you know, oh, that's boring. You know, let, let me have a, a really strong spiritual experience here. You know, I want something, you know, definite here. You know, something that shows up. You know, oh, bright light's great, you know. Um, and so, but it's really through these, really what seem like um, these boring moments in a way that uh, our practice can really deepen because we can really learn to, that we bring the juice into our experience. We bring the wakefulness into it um, with our attention. Bringing effort to our wakefulness can look very different at different times. Like if we're um, sick, not feeling well, you know, you know, bringing uh, effort to it, bringing wakefulness to it, uh, might not look very uh, energetic. <laughs> you know, it just might be, you know, a little bit of attention, and then you know, you're just not feeling well. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, the capacity to give it that much uh, energy. You know, and so you know, uh, wise effort is the best effort we can bring to any situation. Um, so it's just what's how much uh, wakefulness can we bring here? How much presence? How present can we be for being sick or not feeling well or feeling exhausted? You know, can we be gentle with it and still show up for it? Or in a different direction, like if we're caught in the middle, like um, I've been caught like in the middle of being really angry, you know, and then going, oh yeah, I'm really angry, you know, and and. Uh, you know, and I, and knowing that I want to let go of it, but not able to let go. Yeah, and so just like we set the clock, you know, in our minds, you know, I'm going to wake up at five o'clock. Um, you know, I set the intention um, that I want to let go of this anger. You know, I set a seed. I want to let go of this. I'm not going to feed the story. Um, you know, and it's okay that it's still lingering. It's okay that it still feels fresh, you know. But that's the, that's the best effort I can make at the moment, going in the direction of letting go. So on the cushion, you know, or chair, um, uh, when we find that we um, need to direct our efforts towards wakefulness, you know, I tend to think of it as um, uh, doing it in three different ways. Uh, uh, With the body, with the heart, or with the mind. And at different times, different ways. And so in the body, um, uh, it's really the this felt sense of the breath is what's really available right then and there, uh, the intimacy of the breath. I really like the word intimacy. It's a, it's a relationship we have with our breath. It's, it's uh, um, allowing it to become more and more intimate. And, um, you know, as we closely pay attention to the details, to of the felt sense of it, um, it, can, it naturally tends to bring the energy up. 
um, as the attention stabilizes or wakefulness uh, increases. And um, with the mind, you know, um, for many years, um, you know, I I found it really useful to, uh, and I've done this on and off, you know, to remember why I practice. Uh, every time I would sit, I would always start my sitting with why I practice. And, um, and um, <clears throat> the one definition of right effort is uh, the energy in the mind directed towards freedom and lasting happiness. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind it's kind of close to what my, you know, what I used, you know, that, uh, that kind of image of liberation, um, of freedom, you know, of, of an ultimate happiness. And, um, you know, that can really, uh, when you start a sit, you know, uh, it can really help you um, uh, begin with the right attitude. Um, sometimes we just sit and, you know, and don't really uh, uh, have a, direction or purpose and so it's really helpful for me to have that really be clear um, <clears throat> and then the the other part um, of being wakeful is the heart and um, one of the the qualities you know that that I look for when I've brought that into my experience is to trust it like when things are aren't going in the way I want them to be sometimes in meditation, as occasionally happens, right? Um, um, you know, I I connect with the trust that I have of the practice, and I embrace it and bring that um, that kind of a larger capacity of the heart to say yes, okay, this is okay. Um, you know, this this might be dukkha. You know, this is dukkha, but I can embrace this. I can bring this in, yes, and you know, and really comes come to the present with that, with that saying yes to it. So, um, so we get distracted with thinking or worrying, with getting caught by craving. We can just begin again. We can take a dip into that refreshing pool, refreshing pool of wakefulness. We don't need to make ourselves wrong for being distracted, preoccupied, for craving. All we need to do is just begin again and again and again. And that's the gradual training. The gradual training, the gradual practice, and the gradual progress. So thank you. And just let's sit for just a few minutes. (laughs) 